Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. It is the 3rd of March, 2023. If you were to uh, tune into any mainstream media right now, you would be hearing about Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. And so um, you're saying to yourself, wow, the the mainstream media is reporting on the coming of Christ. No, no, it's uh, Judgment Day for a fourth generation attorney in the low country of South Carolina. His name is Alex Murdaugh, and uh, he has had a weeks-long trial um, being charged with the murder of his wife and youngest son, Paul, who was 22 at the time. That that trial ended yesterday with the jury returning a guilty verdict on all charges. It only took them some three hours uh, to deliberate. deliberate. It was unanimous um, and... All parties agreed that the sentencing could take place this morning at 9.30 Eastern. And so um, that has led to these chirons, you know, that are blaring Judgment Day, Judgment Day. Um, And so I wanted to spend a moment here this morning at the outset just talking about how as a Christian we process such a thing. Like how do we process um, a father killing, a, a man killing his wife and a father killing his son? How do we process um, a man whose um, whose life had become a pile of lies and um, and a family with you know generational sins? No question about it. There's already a Netflix um, series about them prior to this particular trial, um, and here's a man found guilty on all charges. And uh, how is a, how as a Christian do I respond to that? I mean, I'm I'm I must grieve. Um, there are many victims here, many, many victims here. I, I want justice to be done in, um, in the space and time of, of life. I also recognize that ultimate justice is not accomplished, this side of um, heaven, but that God is just. It leads us to a conversation about you know, what kind of justice do we have in our country? What kind of justice do we want to see what does it look like for um, justice to come here and now? And what does it look like for justice to ultimately be accomplished? Um, what is justice? I mean, that, that might be a, a conversation that you might be tempted uh, or interested in, in having today. And how would you define it from a biblical perspective? Where does it come from? Um, justice has an objective existence. It is not a product of social agreement. Justice is a real thing because God is just. It is part of who God is. It is an attribute of God's character. Um, And so justice exists. It is a substantial reality, um, even if it is not fair or equitable 
or meted out in ways that um, we experience in real time. Justice has um, lots of component parts, but it it is ultimately, you know, it is objective. It is derived from who God is. So as you consider today how to engage in the conversations about the sins of this father, Alex Murdaugh, and the devastation wrought by him upon his family and the families of so many others in um, in this community of Hampton, South Carolina, um, maybe you could move the conversation to a place of considering how justice is done, what justice looks like, um, not only in a case like this, but what justice looks like when it comes to our own sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you say to yourself, well, yes, but I'm not a murderer. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to challenge us to revisit what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said people long ago. I mean, these are, you know, it's part of the law here. You shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister is subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, you, you know, you fool. Um, or damn you, right, is answerable. Anyone who says you fool is in danger of the fire of hell. So really, I mean, did Jesus really mean that? Well, he's teaching here in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and he's talking about the higher righteousness that God expects of us. And the only way to possess that kind or that quality of righteousness is to be possessed of it, possessed by it. Jesus knows that we can't live up to the law, let alone this higher standard of love, But he also knows what he intends to do to make it possible for us to live under his righteousness, which is complete and totalizing. So let me just encourage you today, as other, uh, you're likely to hear other people say, you know, Alex Murdoch got exactly what he deserved. Now, you may agree or disagree from the perspective of the world, but from the perspective of the gospel, let's be people who also offer how thankful we are that we don't get what we deserve from God. Let us celebrate the gospel, the redemptive power of God. Let us pray for whatever Christian is now going to be present in prison with Alex Murdaugh, that he too might one day know the grace of God and have his sins washed white as snow. And if I don't want that for him, then I need to go back and consider what Jesus has said about what's going on in my own heart. All right, Adam Holtz is going to join us next from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Jesus Revolution, have you seen it? Lots of people have. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. But it kind of makes a boy wonder when his wife is so sister. Got laughs at kings and princes and all their foolishness. Joining us now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Good morning, friend. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I am well. I am well. Uh, the uh, there is threatening weather outside, um, supposedly, but the um, dog barometers here in the studio are perfectly <laughs> aligned. They are sound asleep. They uh, they okay. are um, yeah. So I'm using them as my as as my predictive measures today. How about you? Well, the, uh, I didn't actually check on my dog barometer, but he wasn't making noise, so I go. guess we're okay. There you go. <laughs> Jesus Revolution. Um, wow, yeah. it has really outperformed expectations. It has not only outperformed expectations, it even outperformed the original estimates. So on Monday mornings each week, they release 
estimates of what they think the box office did. Now, these are pretty finely tuned. It's rare that they're very far off. And actually, I have no idea what, you know, world conquering algorithms they're using to predict these things. But um, so on Monday, we heard that it basically doubled expectations. The the industry prognosticators expected it to do seven to eight million dollars in its opening weekend, which as Christian movies go, would have been a phenomenal opening. Well, on Monday, they reported that it made 15 and a quarter million. Uh, and I was just on, uh, there's a site called Box Office Mojo if you want to get deep in the weeds and track this stuff. And then they post the actuals a little bit later in the week. And the actual take was 15.9 million. So it made, you know, another 750,000 more, even than the estimate on Monday. And as of, oh, Wednesday or Thursday, it's up almost to $21 million. So, all right. right. I can tell you, I can tell you some people who bought tickets because they're on the text line right now. Lori in Connecticut says, I saw the movie last week, really appreciated the portrayal of God using broken people and seeing the crowd want to get baptized. It made me cry. Anne says, our whole life group saw Jesus Revolution on Wednesday evening. It is a great movie. I recommend it to everyone. And Christine from uh, Dallas says, I saw the Jesus Revolution last weekend, very encouraging, and I was one of the 80,000 people who attended the Jesus Expo in Dallas, June oh. 1972, as a college student. How fun that is sucks. that, right? She says, I loved so seeing great. the clips of the event at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's so, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So it, great. I think that it, it, it says to Hollywood that there are people out there who are longing for stories that represent what they believe. And obviously Christianity uh, in the mainstream culture is not popular and has lots of views that people take issue with, but kudos, kudos to Lionsgate. This was released by a mainstream studio and the title is Jesus Revolution for heaven's sake, uh, which is based on a Time Magazine article from 1971 chronicling what happened that's actually where john Irwin got the idea the director um but you know good on them for recognizing there is a need and a desire for well-made faith-based stories and i think it just illustrates that um that people are hungry to see their faith represented in a positive and an accurate way so uh it's it's a great story All right. When we come back, um, we're going to ask Adam Holtz to unpack for us what is going on with Dilbert. Um, If you are a person who still gets a print newspaper, um, then you may have noticed that there is one comic no longer represented there. What has happened? Did Dilbert die? And if so, why? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
Continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find what we're talking about at PluggedIn.com. Um, all right, so Dilbert has been uh, in the news of late. We used to think of it as a comic strip, but this uh, storyline is um, not particularly humorous. No, it's not particularly humorous. And I think it's safe to say that Dilbert creator Scott Adams for many, many years has definitely leaned in the conservative direction in terms of occasional commentary on social issues. It used to just be about the absurdities and inanities of life in the office. You know, Dilbert was sort of the office in comic book form before the office existed. Uh, And, you know, we had the pointy haired boss and we had Dilbert making clever and sardonic and sarcastic commentary on, you know, all of the, all of the silly things that happen in the office. Um, But as our culture has, I think, become more progressive in the mainstream and, you know, more woke, that's a word that some people use. uh, Scott Adams has been pretty critical of it. And he was recently in a video where he talked about blacks needing to be, you know, perhaps qualified or categorized as a hate group. Now, if there was a hint of sarcasm or, you know, some meta storyline there, sometimes things are taken out of context, right? You know, you take one sentence out of a bigger conversation and you can completely twist it. But I watched the video and my thought was, man, if that's happening, it's not like readily apparent. And, and I felt like even if that's not what Scott Adams intended to communicate or, you know, if he was trying to accomplish something else, he has lived in the media world long enough to know that when you say things like that, the response is going to be swift. And and I would say it was nothing short of career suicide for him. You know, in the matter of a day or two, uh, Dilbert was gone. And, you know, he now gets put in the file of people that uh, we don't think should have an opportunity to influence the public discourse anymore that being scott adams not dilbert so much um and so i think it's it was a little bit of a head scratcher for me carmen and i think i have seen some stuff since that scott adams said that he was taken out of context or he was misunderstood I'm like well maybe but i i watched the video and if there was some clue there that we were supposed to take away something else from it it was not readily apparent all right. Um, yeah, I the, I watched the video. I'm not necessarily recommending that other people watch it. Um, he um, he talks about being done and quitting and um, giving up on any effort to, quote unquote, help black Americans. I'm not doing that anymore. He says the only outcome is yeah. that I get called a racist. I think part of what came through to me is. There is this sense of superiority if all you think you're ever doing is helping people whose yeah. um, skin pigmentation is different than yours. Like, right, some of the some of the levels and layers of this are um, are worth unpacking, but we're not really in a position to do that because we don't have a personal relationship with this individual. I think my encouragement, right. if you're listening right now, um, if you have a personal relationship with somebody who resonates with what Scott Adams has said and the way in which he is saying it, then you are a position, you are a person in a position to have a conversation about some very deep racist tendencies. Like, right. There's it's, it, it runs very deep in this conversation. And so um, 
uh, and and for those of us who are Christians, um, and we recognize the importance of unity and the breaking down of barriers and the moving toward people who are different than us, um, this idea that we would get away from each other, that we would you know move to neighborhoods where we could insulate and isolate ourselves from one another, that's not the spirit of Christ. And so, um, let me just in, encourage you with um, with those with those words. Um, talk with us, Adam, about. Um, Netflix is a, Netflix is hot on it, by the way, uh, the, the, right. the the release of like short documentaries or like things that maybe only have three episodes or whatever. That is an in, that's interesting to me. I find that kind of fascinating. Talk with us about um, what their release of the documentary on Pornhub and actually as Christians, why we should care. Well, Pornhub is, um, I mean, in, in short form parlance, um, it's kind of the YouTube of the pornography world. And I've never visited the site. So all of my information is secondhand. I'm going to just qualify that very clearly up front. But Pornhub has been an incredibly influential site in the pornography industry, giving people who maybe were not traditional participants in pornography, the ability to create uh, and distribute it uh, digitally. And there has been, a lot of concern because of how, you know, it's kind of the Wild West, if I can use that um, that phrase. Anybody can participate in this pretty easily if you have a camera and an internet connection, which these days is virtually everyone. But there have been concerns raised that Pornhub is aiding and abetting sexual trafficking because you have no way to verify if someone is making a video is that a consensual thing? You know, have they decided that's something they want to do for whatever reason? You know, they they want to produce this kind of content. They want to make money. Um, but there are reportedly many, many, many young women, especially, who may be creating content on Pornhub uh, in the context of sexual trafficking, you know, not mm. willingly. And, and again, the willing creation of pornography is problematic too. I'm not trying to say like, well, if, if it's consensual, we don't have to worry about it. That's uh, maybe a parallel, but bigger conversation. So this is a documentary, as I understand it from what I've read about it, I have not seen it yet, that that really digs into um, the reality that the possibility for sexual trafficking is very real here. And so on that level, I say, that's fantastic. Um, and I think that there is a cautionary element here, but I also think that it's hard to get away from the voyeur, you know, sort of thing. Like how many people who are going to tune into a conversation about pornography are hoping that this documentary is actually pornography. Now, maybe it wakes some of those people up, but I'm also concerned that, you know, for somebody flirting around the outside of the margins of it, you know, do you end up encouraging it. I think back to 13 Reasons Why and the creators of that dramatic series about a girl who takes her own life, they said, we really want to create a cautionary story that discourages suicide, but suicide rates markedly went up afterwards. And this sort of feels like it's in the same category. I think my concern is, okay, you're trying to shine a light on this real issue, but are you inadvertently perhaps attracting some viewers uh, to, you know, to maybe dabble in pornography if they haven't done it before. So 
Uh, on one hand, I think the intent, as I understand it, is a redemptive one. And on the other hand, even trying to tell a redemptive story about the dangers of pornography, there's some peril there. Yeah, no, no doubt about it, right? No doubt about it. Um, all right, uh, you have one, you have, no, you don't, I was going to say you have one minute to give us a, a review okay. of Creed, Creed 3, but you don't. I can so do we're it just gonna send 10 seconds. <laughs> 10 seconds, Creed 3. Uh, it's the latest movie in the long line of Rocky movies, and there's fighting and blood and spittle and a lot of profanity. <laughs> there you go. No need to see Creed 3. Instead, go see the Jesus Revolution. All yes. right, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. As always, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. Hey, let's uh, let's take a break for Breakpoint um, with John Stone Street from the Colson Center. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, let's be uh, praying this weekend for people who hunger and thirst. Now, what comes immediately to mind is let's be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But I also have like physical hunger and thirst um, in view here. Um, I had headlines this morning in my inbox um, about famine in North Korea, famine conditions in the Horn of Africa, including Somalia, Kenya, and Ethiopia. Famine in the aftermath of the floods in Pakistan. Famine in the midst of the ongoing war in Yemen. And so I want to pray um, today for people who are literally hungry and thirsty around the world today. Um, And I want to pray for our farmers. I want to pray for um, everybody who provides for our physical needs. Growers and distributors and networks and, yes, governments. I want to pray today for Cindy McCain. She is the wife of late U.S. Senator John McCain. She has uh, just been named to be the new executive director of the United Nations World Food Program, without question, the largest global humanitarian organization. So let's be praying today for um, kids in our own communities who need a backpack full of food um, to go home with them from school today, or otherwise they won't have a healthy meal over the weekend. Let's be praying for the elderly in our communities um, who need healthy food to eat and someone to bring it to them. Um, Let's be praying for single moms who are going to lose their SNAP benefits here at the end of the month um, and do not have a plan for how to replace those funds. Um, God has provided sufficient food for people. We just need to be the people who distribute it well. And so um, let that be our prayer today as people hunger and thirst. Adam Mabry is going to join us next. I know you're thinking this is the Adam hour. We are going from uh, one Adam to another. Uh, Yeah, well, there you go. Second Adam. That's worth talking about. Uh, The book is When God Seems Gone, Finding Hope When Nothing Makes Sense. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Adam Mabry. Adam is a pastor in Boston, Massachusetts of a growing diverse church. He's passionately committed to bringing the truth, grace, and changing power of the gospel for the glory of God and the good of all people. He is joining us today 
as the author of uh, a brand new book, When God Seems Gone, Finding Hope When Nothing Makes Sense. Adam, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, I mean, you know, this book's been on the street like two days. So what are you already hearing from, you know, your friends, neighbors, colleagues, people who have already been blessed by it? Yeah, well, what I'm hearing so far is that uh, it's really refreshing for someone to finally name uh, an experience that a lot of us have, but maybe it feels like it's not okay to talk about that, you know, when you, you know, like in your belief system, theologically, God's there, but it feels as though he's not. What do you do in that space? And so that that idea resonates, that experience resonates with a lot of people, and I'm encouraged that uh, I could maybe help them. I love that. So um, that, you know, that already speaks to the motivation to write this. There's just so many things that we don't talk about. We think that's not okay to talk about as Christians. Like, is it okay for me to wonder whether or not God is paying attention, whether or not God's present, whether or not God cares? Um We know, like theologically, right, God is present. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. So why do you think it sometimes feels like God is silent, distant, or even absent? Yeah, well, there's a really simple reason, and then there's a really, really complex. So the simple reason is sin. So uh, I I say, you know, sort of in the intro of the book, like, if if we're just flagrantly in sin, it probably shouldn't surprise us that God feels far away any more than, mm. you know, if I were like being horrible to my wife and she didn't want to go on a date, like that shouldn't really surprise me. Um, so that's a simple reason. Um, but the more complex and textured reason is uh, God's moments of sovereign silence or sovereign distance um, and moments where he appears to be working angles and doing things that he's just simply not letting us in on uh, where, where we've got to trust him. And so in the book, I walk through experiences that like Habakkuk had or, um, you know, Elijah post Mount Carmel or you know, even Jesus in the garden. And what, what, what we do when we have the experience that God feels far away, because it can be really torturous to know that he's present, but to feel like he's absent. And in our day and age, our, our feelings are so central um, for probably much more for worse than for better. Our feelings are so central to how we understand the world around us. And so when our feelings are sort of, uh, you know, telling us, well, God's not there. That can that can lead to a real crisis for me. And so this book is a call back to the practice of lament and uh, figuring out how to take my cruddy experiences and bring them to a God faithfully who I know can understand and help them. Yeah, that's um, that is really the crux of it. And um, the the practice of lament, the invitation to lament um, and to be honest with God. I want to I want to plumb that next, Adam. Um, but let me just remind everybody, we're talking with Adam Mabry. The book is When God Seems Gone, Finding Hope When Nothing Makes Sense. You can connect directly with Adam at adammabry.org. Um, let's talk about lament. Um, let's talk about the need to lament, the honesty of lament, um, and, and maybe address like those who think, oh, that can't be right. Like, that can't be right to just be that honest with God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our culture sort of has a mimic, a uh, false version of this, where you just sort of speak your truth. And uh, what it basically is, is complaining. Um, and so faithful Christians will look at people complaining about stuff and go, well, I'm not supposed to complain. And that's true. We're not. But <clears throat> because we want to not complain, we tend to avoid this practice of lament. And lament is when I take my 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 pain um, and my problem to God and I, I leave it with him. Um, you know, I say, God, my situation's terrible. I don't understand, you know, this sickness or, or why the money's not there or what's going on in my marriage. And I hate it and it hurts and I don't understand. But you end this with, 
but I trust you. I, I, I'm, I'm complaining. To, I'm, I'm bringing my, my, my problem, my complaint, my pain up to the one who I know can deal with it, even though, man, I don't have a clue even where you're at. Right now. Um, the, the nature of lament is that it's worshipful because we, we're presuming that God cares about and can do something about our pain. We're talking with Adam Avery. He's a pastor. He's also the author of When God Seems Gone. Um, it's important, Adam. I mean, you you point this out over and over again, but I think it 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 certainly bears repeating here. Like this is about knowing who God is, God's character, and then trusting God to be God. Like I, that. I mean, ultimately, I can pray prayers of lament. I can um, feel what I'm feeling, even if it's doubtful and discouraging. Um, it's okay to feel those things because I, I ultimately know who God is and I can count on God to be God. Um, can you talk with us about the importance of understanding God's character um, and how that helps us yeah. see the reality of our of our actual circumstance? Yeah, absolutely. You know, modern kind of Western culture preaches a message to us that, you know, we should pretty much live in lives of increasing comfort and, you know, pain-free, um, you know, prosperity. And and Jesus himself pro- promised that we would suffer. Like, that, that's, a, that's a promise nobody puts on a coffee mug or on a tattoo, but he did definitely promise that he would suffer. <laughs> but when he, when we did, we were meant to trust that, you know, he's overcome the world. So we, because he's overcome the world, we can make it. But what we, what he doesn't promise is to explain all of the trillion different things he's doing at any one moment. Um, he, he doesn't promise that, you know, if, you know, when I come to him with my weird diagnosis or, or the pain in my family or something, he doesn't promise to tell me, oh, well, Adam, here's exactly what's going on. Um, in fact, presuming that he would, is a bit blasphemous because we're asking God to explain something that really only he can comprehend. Um, we, we have a, we have a God who's, you know, sovereignly overseeing and running the world and, and doing it for our good and his glory. And so when, when my road for righteousness passes through, you know, death's dark Valley and is shadowy, I, I have to understand, I, I won't probably get it i probably won't get all the little reasons it's great when god shows us a couple of them and it's really satisfying um but in those moments that's when we're trusting okay no god because jesus overcame i can trust you because if if god can take the evil and suffering of the cross and bring it into the greatest conceivable good namely the salvation of all who trust christ then i think he can manage you know my being fired or my um you know my my wayward child or my difficulty that i'm walking through we're talking with Adam Mabry. I'm wondering if you're listening right now and you're like, yeah, I'm having a hard time trusting God with what I'm walking through. Um, love to hear from you so that we can pray for you today. You can always text us 877-933-2484. You can connect with Adam at adammabry.org. The book is When God Seems Gone, Finding Hope When Nothing Makes Sense. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be right back. How are you preparing for the reality of Jesus's last days, his passion, Holy Week, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denials, Jesus being stripped and humiliated by soldiers and falsely accused by the Jews and subjected to mock trials and ultimately crucified? How are you planning to give those events in Jesus's life the attention they deserve? That's what the season of Lent is all about. The 40 days prior to Easter are set aside to prepare ourselves 
to face the reality of the cross, and yes, ultimately to celebrate the reality of the empty tomb. I invite you to join us in reading through the Bible together during Lent. The study will provide a way for you to intentionally engage each day with the Word of God. You can sign up today at MyFaithRadio.com as we read through the Bible together this Lent. Pastor Adam Mabry is here with us. The book is When God Seems Gone. All right, Adam, um, I'm asking this question knowing the answer, but also sensitive to the fact that lots of people listening are now wondering, hey, what is this young guy with, you know, a wonderful family and a vibrant growing ministry? What does this guy know about walking through seasons of darkness or seasons where it seems like God is silent? Yeah. um, So... This book comes out of really like survival techniques, <laughs> uh, a field manual for, for figuring out how to do this. Um, the, the specifics of my situation are, are somewhat still ongoing and involve people other than me. So I can't be terribly specific, but I can say that my, my family, my nuclear family, has, um, in, has been enduring a season of intense uh, sickness, um, uh, particularly you know, with, with a member of our family. And it has taken what you know, basically everything that we thought life would be like and turned it, you know, on its head. Um, and, and that in the midst of, you know, a church that was, was, you know, is growing and, um, but also, you know, even there that struck some headwinds and it all kind of hit at the same time. And it all kind of hit at the same time around, of course, you know, the, the glorious and enjoyable time that 2020 was for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of this like six or seven car pile up, uh, but that moment was kind of the the apex of years of figuring out how to how to get through this. And then, you know, the way feeling really bad that I felt really bad. Uh, I don't know if mm. the enemy does does this to anyone who's listening, but I would feel I would feel bad about my walk with Jesus. Like, I don't hear him. I don't feel him. And then I hear this accusation like, yeah, of course you don't, because he doesn't care about you. or You know, you're not doing it right. And and so. Figuring out over a period of you know six or seven years how to shake that off and not just shake that off, but actually walk in, actually overcome uh, in the midst of uh, some pretty difficult stuff. I, I thought, man, I, I am not the only person who's done this. And uh, mercifully, I wrote a I wrote a very short book because I figured people who are going through like intense pain and suffering don't need a four hundred page uh, excursus on you know the theology of uh, God's presence and his deal and suffering. This, this is not that book. Better men than me have written books like that. Um, this book is simply about how to see that this is a common experience in scripture and how from scripture we can walk through it faithfully. Yeah, the brevity um, is beautiful. Um, when God seems silent, when God seems slow, when God seems unfair, when God disappoints, when God seems wrong, Um, And what will you do when God seems gone? Um, The book is When God Seems Gone, Finding Hope When Nothing Makes Sense. Um, Let's speak a word of encouragement, Adam, to those who are listening right now. You know, speak to that person who is feeling like the Lord is not there. They are believing the lies of the accuser who is saying, well, you don't feel it because you're not doing it right, or you don't feel it because... God doesn't care. Like, talk to them right now. Yeah, I would just say, my friend, there's truth that is true even when your heart accuses you that it is not. Uh, the book of First John says, even when our hearts condemn us, 
God knows everything and he is greater than our hearts. Uh, in our, in our moment, in our current cultural moment, our, our hearts, we're just conditioned to hear uh, everything that is true from them. And so what I would say is be honest about those emotions, learn how to take those emotions and recognize them, become self-aware and bring them before the throne in real lament. And just the practice of recognizing them and bringing them before God faithfully will bring relief and actually position you to see God's presence, even in the midst of what feels like his presence. Because what, what God is doing is not just making our lives good here and now. He's forging us and forming us into the kind of people who can inherit the cosmos with him. Uh, at the end of the age. He's, he's making us the kind of people who can bear the blessings of eternity. And, and so even when God seems gone, take heart, he is not. He is not. He is there. And, and even in the moment that it's difficult to see or hear where he is, we can have great confidence knowing that he is, in fact, there. Um, I'm reminded of the psalm that says, you know, I, I, I put my hope in God you know, like a weaned child with his, his mother. Like a weaned child, I'll, I'll take heart. You know, a, a child that's weaned has learned how to know that mom is there, even when mom is not you know, nursing and, and physically uh, present with him. And, and has become okay. And, and my hope is that even in our suffering, we'll become okay, understanding that God is in fact there, even when our hearts are accusing us, that he's gone. So good. I love um, the way you talk about being reminded of what the scripture says, right? So the only way that that happens, the only way to be reminded is that it's in my mind at some point to begin with. So maybe um, let's talk about some passages of scripture that you might recommend um, we memorize if we're struggling to see God's goodness um, right now in the midst of our very difficult circumstances? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I I have drawn so much joy uh, from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. That's a, um, that's a favorite for me because it reminds me of the, of the actual story of the gospel. Jesus has, in fact, saved me by grace, and he's, and he's made me into this, you know, masterpiece that's uh, whereby I'm, I'm designed to do good uh good works um of course the uh the psalm that i'm uh referring to there is psalm 131 uh psalm 131 uh one two and three is fantastic because it starts by saying you know lord my heart isn't lifted up my sometimes when we get uppity at god it's because we're being proud and so it reminds us okay no i'm gonna be humble i'm gonna trust you there um, and I'm going to still and quiet my soul. And it reminds me that stilling and quieting my soul is not just God's responsibility. It's mine. Um, and it orients my heart toward him, uh, forevermore. And then, you know, I would say the stories of, you know, the whole book of Habakkuk, uh, is, is the story of a guy who'd been just crying out to God for his nation. And it took God what it seems like it took God a while to get back to him. And then the, the answer that he got probably wasn't the answer that he wanted. Um, you know, Elijah, this just the life of Elijah and the emotional highs and lows, uh, David, uh, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. These are moments where we have to remember that like, these are real things. They're not, they're not in there just to make us feel like they're real things. They're, they are real moments, real pain and real suffering that real men of God trusted God through. And knowing that and knowing that the same Holy spirit that raised Christ was there with him in the garden uh, is powerful stuff to be reminded of when, you know, when you're, crying in a hospital room or when, you know, you're reading the text message that just, you know, changed your life or something terrible happened. Um, that, th- those are the places that uh, I hope will be the common, common walking paths of people when, uh, when God seems gone. 
I think our walk-off, Adam, will be um, to simply read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, um, and to say thank you to you and to speak blessing over you and your family and your congregation, your ministry and your work. Um, Thank you for joining us today here on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Mabry, you can find him at adammabry.org. The book is When God Seems Gone, Finding Hope When Nothing Makes Sense. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Lots of good questions on the text line this morning. Um, uh, Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for um, sharing all that you're sharing. Those of you sharing prayer requests, absolutely. Um, I will be lifting those up, and we here at Faith Radio love to pray for you. And so um, continue to communicate in those ways with us. There are ways to let us know your prayer concerns um, as well at MyFaithRadio.com. Don't miss the great resources that are posted there for you. That's why we do them. That's why we put them there. So love it if you would go access those as well. Um, I was thinking in terms of finishing this week and finishing it well, that I wanted to speak a blessing over each and all of us. And, you know, I so often turn to Numbers chapter six and speak that blessing over us. But today, what the Lord lifted up in my heart was instead this promise, this promise that he would be with us. And it comes in the form of song, which I will not sing. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, guide uphold you. With his sheep, securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again when life's perils thick confound you. Put his arms unfailing round you. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. Keep love's banner floating o'er you. Smite death's threatening wave before you. God be with you till we meet again. Friends, as we, um, as we part company and um, we move into this day of the Lord that he has given, in which he has prepared and advanced good works for each one of us to do, I want us to be um, fully aware of the reality that God is And God is with us by the power of his Holy Spirit in the communion of the saints among fellow believers, by the power of his word, 
in the person of Christ. God is with you. You are not alone. God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And if you don't have that confidence, give your life to God today that he might live in and through you. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.